0: Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute. And I am privileged to be with a longtime friend and colleague, Justin Black of Glint. Justin, you there? Hi, Al. Hey, thanks for sharing time today. I appreciate it. I mean, Justin, you've been doing some great work there at Glint uh, for a number of years now, and you've managed to uh, gather some of the most prominent and accomplished uh, IO psychologists and people analytics professionals uh, on the planet, if I, I might say. And you have thus uh, created some innovation, innovative solutions. So, you want to share just a little bit about yourself and what you got going on at Glenn?
1: Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Al. Um, so my background's in industrial and organizational psychology. I lead the. We call the people science team at Glint. And like you said, it's a collection of some of the most experienced, uh, really exceptional practitioners in our field. And the reason we call it people science is it's a combination of things we've all practiced in the past, uh, engagement expertise, organizational development, people analytics, um, internal and external sides of that. Uh, and you know, we're all working with the product team around a bold vision, which is to create a world where people love their jobs and uh, we have this um, mission around uh, helping people be happier and more successful at work and so everything exciting we're doing is in that direction we believe that people need better easier to use more frequent information about where they are on their journey from being in the right roles to having what they need to be happy and successful to knowing what they're supposed to be working on and getting feedback along the way that helps them course correct in order to meet their goals, to developing new skills, and then coming all the way back around to, to reevaluating whether or not you're in the right roles. And one of the key things we've been um, working with customers on now is analyzing data across programs we call uh, cross-program intelligence. So I would say that's probably the hottest uh, new thing out uh, from Glint right now, Al, is cross-program intelligence.
0: Well, yeah, I have, um Seen your press release on it, and uh, I've talked to some of your colleagues there. Can you provide a concise definition of what it is? Because it sounds super exciting.
1: Yeah, be happy to. Um, you know, it's always hard to name these things and have them make sense uh, immediately. Um, you know, at its core, uh, cross-program intelligence allows you to to quickly bring together disparate data sources using an easy-to-use self-service filter. That's it. And by connecting the, the data across these different service programs, um, we're starting to see customers uncover really targeted and actionable insights about specific employee populations and about experiences over time for those populations.
0: Got it. And what's some of the data uh, that you are bringing together? I, I imagine it's survey data because that's what you all do, and it's, and it's more than that, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the platform is really data agnostic, which um, gives our customers a lot of flexibility in terms of what they put in. And, and we're seeing customers put in performance data, both in terms of individual performance, but also team and function KPIs, and start to look at connections uh, across those data. I mean, simple example so if you think about attrition data as a common uh, KPI, as a common non sort of classic engagement data, um, customers are putting in attrition data and starting now to see the time lag between disengagement and attrition. So, mm-hmm. for example, when a score drops, becomes unfavorable, how long until those people for whom that score became unfavorable, how long until they leave? Um, really interesting, actually, if we see the scores drop in engagement, outcome items, right? Uh, the You have about three months before those people walk out the door. But when we see scores drop on the drivers of engagement, like recognition, career, empowerment, uh, there's about a nine-month time lag before attrition happens. So, uh, again, so back to targeted insights, both in terms of where to look, but also when to intervene.
0: Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that you can make focused interventions to head off these uh, less than... uh, desirable outcomes like people uh, voluntarily leaving and thus increase the likelihood that would not only stay, but be in- engaged. Is that a fair summary or a fair action?
1: Yeah, that's a fair summary. And even beyond that, um, we're actually starting to see as we look at data across customers that um, disengagement can be viral and that you can actually visualize this viral disengagement in a heat map and so i'll give you an example so we have a a large tech customer Uh, we used cross-program intelligence to to understand why employees were leaving and to see if we could identify the leading predictors of attrition right basic uh, approach to identifying attrition drivers and taking some action around it but we didn't realize we were going to uncover was this was this sort of disengagement virus effect and what we saw was the first drop in scores was around career then about three months later, we started to see drops in issues related to career. And about three months after that, there were drops in issues related to issues related to career. And you could see how it spreads to yep. different facets of engagement until uh, ultimately um, disengagement and, and attrition at the, end of the, at the end of that life cycle. And
0: why do you believe that is, or do you have data that uh, sheds light on what that is? Is it just uh, people talking with one another? Is it uh, observing one another's behaviors when they see one person go because they weren't able to get their career uh, developed in the way that they wanted or in the time frame that they believe they deserve, then that just uh, catches on? What's some of your uh, thinking and insights
1: there? Yes, yeah, so there are two ways that the virus spreads. Um, one is um, internally, across multiple aspects of my experience, you know, for me personally as an individual, and then the other is externally, uh, which is, is you know what we'd call to- toxicity, right, in a team where one employee's bad mood rubs off on the other. Um, I won't speak as much to the latter because there there are other data out there on that. I think what's what's really new and exciting about this is how we're starting to see the sort of internal um expansion of dissatisfaction and so what it means is when i'm when i'm dissatisfied with one issue i'm much more likely to be dissatisfied with another issue uh which will start to accelerate um uh, my disengagement overall
0: got it and in response to that then it seems like there needs to be a systematic or holistic approach taken it can't just be okay fixed career in that example it needs to be more uh thoughtful than that is, is that fair
1: Well, that's where it gets interesting. So if you don't discover it until later in the life cycle, say 12 months in, then the problem you have to solve is much bigger, right? Which Mm -hmm. is you have to have a holistic solution around engagement. If you, however, identify the drop within three to six months in career, you can actually focus just on career and prevent the uh, scale of the problem uh, growing uh, and reduce the work you have to do on the back end.
0: Interesting. Super interesting. And we're talking about this like it's been the norm for for ages. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, both you and I know that the idea of aggregating data from disparate sources and and producing insight uh, related to that data, um, particularly over time, is not easy. So you're putting forth something that, in effect, is, is new. Is that, you know, again, fair?
1: Yeah, I mean we, you know, we're kids in a candy store as analysts um with these new capabilities. This is, you know, these are things that those of us working on this type of data for the past couple of decades have been doing really arduously, right? These are, export data from one survey, export data from another survey, um, find a common identifier, link them together, hope that the merge went right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then analyze the data, realize you didn't merge something in you needed, and go back and merge it again, right? And, you know, days, weeks sometimes. And we're starting to do this now um, with filtering in seconds or minutes. And it's just really exciting and uh, really new, uh, really unprecedented.
0: Yeah. What you're saying is, um, obviously very exciting to me as a fellow analyst and it's also um you know begs the question you know who is the user at the end of the day is it uh you know someone leading talent leading engagement leading culture is it uh the business is it hr business partners i imagine it's all of the above to some extent but yeah. you know, who would you advocate you know take this on and, and in turn take action
1: yeah, great question. So, you know, like any other access to data, this is going to depend on your organization and the, you know, the, the data savviness of of leaders, um, but, you know, one of the really exciting things for me here is that traditionally when we would do these analyses because of confidentiality reasons um, and data protection reasons, only a few people would actually get to to analyze the data. And now because the data can be inside the platform and analyzed inside a platform, we can protect confidentiality. So. So the short answer is every leader who has enough data is a user of cross program intelligence. Um, the slightly longer answer is that you know you're going to, as a, an administrator of this program, give different people different access as you feel comfortable doing that. And you know early access has been given, to, been given to HR partners and senior leaders. That's where people are starting. So people who really have enough data and enough data savvy to look at data across programs. Uh, to come up with hypotheses and, and answer them uh, through the platform. And the platform
0: itself, and again, we've been glossing over it, like it's uh, just a matter of fact, but there's underlying predictive algorithms and AI type uh, machine learning uh, capabilities. Is that, uh, you know, again, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, I know in talking with your colleagues that, you know, that's present. So, you know, many organizations are saying, Oh, I need to get in the predictive analytics or, you know, machine learning and, and so forth. But in, um, The article that I wrote a while back around people on 3.0, you effectively have an analytics based product where a lot of those capabilities are actually being done. So it's less of having an analyst, uh, but more of uh, someone who, like you said, can formulate the hypotheses, go investigate, go explore um, solutions. Is, Is that how you're positioning it?
1: That's exactly right. So the data filtering, the data management, the, uh, the correlation of data pattern recognition, um, comment, and you know, making sense of large amounts of text data instantaneously, and not just surfacing summaries of that, but insights from it. Um, all of those things are in the platform. And so you know, what it does is free you up to ask questions of the data and get answers. And it puts that ability in, in many more people's hands. The same way we would put the ability to analyze Salesforce data into the hands of all regional sales leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's no no different, um, no different here. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, as we start to see people use it, business leaders use it, um, we're seeing them do lots of really um, interesting things and ask really good questions. You know, we've always talked about in people analytics, how as much as, you know, as, as smart as we all are, we're doing a great job if we first figure out what the business needs to know and then work backwards from there. Right. And, And now we're getting a sense because we're seeing leaders use the the system, what questions they actually want to ask on their own. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, what is the time lag between disengagement and attrition, which we covered, right? Or how did the new hire experience impact engagement levels nine months later? And how did that impact vary by function, by region, by job type, right? So I can invest uh, nowhere to invest in new hires or um, the most common one we're seeing actually now is why did, my, why did my high performers who were highly engaged in the last engagement survey leave? Yeah. Right? right. We would have predicted, predicted that they stay. Uh, and so if you combine the pattern recognition with the comment analytics, um, you get answers to those questions in a, you know, in a minute or two.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's super cool. And w- one of the things that is coming to mind is uh, the idea that Organizations want to create unique cultures, and there's a. Uh, uh, I heard Adam Grant speak um, recently, and and he was talking about, uh, and I'm grossly summarizing, but that hmm. cultures aren't as unique as uh, leaders want to think they are, and there's <laughs> basic needs that you know, people need, and we've touched yeah. on some of those career and, and, and engagement uh, in general, so. My question to you is this, if if I'm a CHRO or a business leader who is responsible for creating and sustaining uh, a culture and I have some uniquenesses that I want to uh, ensure that are there that would potentially serve as a competitive advantage uh, for me to acquire and retain talent and enable them to innovate and and do other great things. And I want to thus Ask specific questions or have certain constructs. And I know you built, you have your own predictive. I'm sorry, your your own um, engagement index and and built predictive algorithms around that. Uh, but does your uh, solution accommodate uh, specific questions that uh, a particular organization would want to to ask? And can that be incorporated into the science that you all are developing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um... So, you know, we have some standard indices that our customers use. Uh, We also have an item bank of hundreds of items that have been tested that people combine in different ways. And, you know, what's been really fun for us to see as analysts is that um, what the operationalization of a construct in one place is not the same as in another place, right? So, uh, one good example of that is belonging, which is a core value for many companies. You know, some companies we see belonging. Uh, load inseparably from uh, engagement, actually, as an outcome. In some places, we see it load as incl- as inclusion. Um, but you know, coming back to your question about culture, I think you know this is an area where uh, analysis or analytics in general has been difficult because culture is textured and. Mm-hmm. That's one reason, and the second reason is that whenever we ask about specific elements of culture, we essentially lead the witness, right? You know, if we ask people, "Do you see the following value that we think is really important being practiced here day to day?" They're more likely to say yes because they're supposed to. And so, one of the ways to think about using new technology here for culture is that you can um, get the answer to your question in a roundabout way and have it actually be a more meaningful answer than going directly at it and asking people to give you direct feedback one of the ways our customers doing are doing this is asking a general question about, you know, do uh, your leaders live the values or do you think we have a great culture here? And then isolating the favorable respondents to that question. And then looking at what those people say in the comments. And what you get there is the truth about what people talk about when they talk about culture, not mm-hmm. their ra- their rating of the thing that you want to exist. <laughs> right. Uh, so it gives you a real, real, real gut check uh, on, uh, on, on culture as it exists it,
0: that's that's super interesting and it, it prompts the question around uh, employee experience design and employee journey mapping uh, and it sounds like your solution is uniquely uh, able to accommodate how data would track over time and thus what their experience is and in aggregate, you know, what the cultural um, experience is. Is that uh, a way you look at it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the ways we measure um, success for our customers is to look at the, the changes in the, um, the themes in the comments around culture itself. And you actually see, you know, you can visually see people talk about different things and in a more positive way, the system will turn positive things blue and negative things red. And um, so you can really assess assess culture change that way, assess success of your interventions um, that way, not just on culture, but on anything else that you expect to be impacted uh, by, by interventions. The other thing that, you know, in terms of change over time that we're able to do now, we've never been able to do before is isolate unfavorable respondents and see how good of a job we're doing over time, converting them to favorable.
0: Interesting, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, you can also uh, accommodate uh, events of you know let's say something happened in uh, the industry or happened uh, to leadership there was you know an executive left for example, and look at how that impacted engagement scores and other scores. Is that true as well?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, and you can do that in two ways one is we always we recommend our customers have a an ongoing short measure of engagement because they're not always going to know when things happen and then you can immediately deploy uh, instantaneously deploy either a sample or a census single or couple question survey after an event to to get reactions um, from people and then you know in the past you'd have to try to get all that on one survey but now it's no big deal you can you can break them up into separate surveys and combine them really quickly into one view as you need to look at them together and, and to look at patterns over time.
0: Got it. And so, you know, with that in mind, yeah, I'm, I'm taken by the fact that many organizations have leveled the people analytics function too low. And I'm mm. obviously being assertive in, in putting that forth, but that's what I believe. And what we're talking, about are very uh, strategic high level um, they're the essence of leadership they're you know creating a culture they're creating an employee experience so my, my question to you is uh, who's your buyer and you know, do, how do you see the glint solution being used optimally whether that be within existing customer base or kind of in a future state where guy this is really how it's being used to its optimal effectiveness. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. Um, So I have some data on the ladder, some recent data on the ladder. So really excited to share that. This will be the first time we've shared that. Uh, And um, in terms of the firm, in terms of who buys it's it depends on the size of the company. Um, It's generally either the CEO, the CHRO, or the head of uh, a major function that's responsible for engagement and performance, or business intelligence, or people analytics, uh, depending on the size of the business. Um, it's you know interesting relative to my past in this career, where the buyer was pretty fairly well defined set of people. I think because the tool is a combination of the platforms, a combination of organizational development and analytics, uh, with sort of a, a wide range of of buyers. Um, interestingly, what's the, so, the drivers of the product within the organization are actually business leaders. Uh, we will um, often advise our customers to be a little bit more bold in terms of the, the degree of change they undergo and the frequency with which they collect and use feedback. And they'll often say that sounds really good, but we're going to take our time and get there eventually. And then, as soon as they start, the business demands more <laughs> because it's so much easier to use. And so that leads me into my second point, or to answer your second question, which is um, what we're seeing is that highly engaged, you know, companies that that come in with already pretty high engagement levels, they've already built pretty good practices around employee engagement. They're actually seeing a much more significant and higher increase in employee engagement levels in a one-year period than our customers who come in with lower engagement, lower baseline engagement scores, which is counter to what you would expect just just from a law of averages standpoint, right? Um, we're also seeing increases in that group of people that's just not as drastic. At the same time, the global average has remained flat or declined. And so, there's something to this frequency effect in terms of uh, increasing engagement, and there's something to not just using data more frequently and putting analytics in the hands of of everybody, but actually building practices around this accountability for action, shifting mindsets so that people see the people data as just another piece of data the same way they would see sales data as opposed to sitting on it because um, they're worried about it, right?
0: So to summarize, I'm hearing that it becomes part of the normal way of doing business. It becomes part of a process uh, and not an event like when you and I were working in this discipline over the years, we would do a annual or biannual survey. It would be a huge event to put the executive report together and distribute reports and and all that. Now it's part of the flow. It could be part of a quarterly business review. It could be part of a annual, annual talent strategy meeting is, you know, again, is that where you're seeing it uh, get traction?
1: That's exactly right. We, we already have goals as leaders. We already have demands from the board. We can, we can surface people data insights to leaders that help them hit those goals they already have and put it right in the decision-making cycle so that they get the data right when they need to make the decision. And our customers who are doing that are the most successful and seeing the most uh, drastic improvements.
0: In a, in a more general, maybe you all are, um, Maybe far afield from this. Yeah, you know, as we're talking, it was like, God, that makes so much
1: sense. Why doesn't everybody do this?
0: <laughs> so why don't <laughs> believe everyone's doing this or, or something like it?
1: Yeah, I think you know a couple of reasons. I think one is you know there's still a lot of organizations that um, have not been traditionally run as people centric, and mm-hmm. you know there's a there's an understandable fear that if they put this type of data in the hands of leaders who have not been trained in how to use or experienced in how to use this type of data that they might do bad things with it. And that risk certainly exists. I think it's probably overblown a little bit, um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a risk with a big impact, even though it's a small risk. And so I understand that. I think the other limitation, and this is just a technical one, is some people just don't have their data set up uh, in a way to allow this to happen quickly. Um, and what I mean by that is basic HRES, right? If you don't, if it, you know, if you don't have a, an accurate sense of who you have on staff and where they're working and the, the attributes that leaders care about, um, you can't get as much use out of frequent data. You can't be as accurate with it. I think the final one CEO mindset or executive team mindset. There is still, you know, people are really tied to what they've had in the past. Um, they're used to sifting through lots of data points once a year. And um, it's hard to break those habits. And so we're having to use the data showing the impact of frequency on things like stock price growth and uh, change in culture uh, to to really bring them along, break them of some of those old habits.
0: Got it. Just to emphasize, if they're not people-centric, then this isn't going to resonate because their belief system that is not going to be aligned with yours, because I want to come back. To uh, something you said at the outset, you, you at Glint want to create a world where people love their jobs, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, aspects to that. And one of the things that I am particularly passionate about, and, and this might be something that you're doing, or it might be something that's forthcoming, uh, is this notion of capacity and workload and expectation. Yeah. And and so, yeah, you know, w- what is some of your insights and ideas around? individual capacity so people go home at the end of the day feeling that you know, they've accomplished what they set out to do and not feeling that they're you know dying under a wave of uh work that's just uh, you know undoable i cite jeffrey pfeffer's you know recent work on you know dying for a paycheck it, it, if mm-hmm. you, there's a world where people love their job you know what are a couple of things that have to shift from your perspective
1: yeah i think by definition if you're burnt out you can't love your job Right, there's no way you have the emotional capacity to love your job if you're burnt out. Uh, as much as you might try to convince yourself that you love your job, and that's it, and that's why you're burnt out. Um, uh, so we, you know, we believe strongly in that as, as a as a component of it. Um, I think we have quite a ways to go here as a field. I think part of that's because we're still coming out of the defensive posture of proving that um, HR and people analytics is a business value add, not a cost center. As, as it seems strange that we're still saying that, but you know we're still coming out of that defensive posture, and so we've been really focusing on showing business linkage. Um, you know, I, our customers that have actually that have changed the fastest have actually not convinced their executives to change because of the connection to business outcomes. They've made an emotional argument about the need to change for the success of the business and the welfare of the people in that business, and mm-hmm. the importance of just changing how we show up at work every day thinking about work differently, putting people at the center of it, um, understanding that people have lives of which work is one part uh, and, and that work and life don't necessarily operate separately in the way we would want to separate them from an, from an analytics standpoint. Um, so I think we have, I think we have some, some work to do here, Al, frankly. Uh, I think one, you know, one of the nice things about um, where technology is moving here is that we can deploy these small programs on wellness and assess people in terms of their wellness without launching a, you know, a long 30 item engagement survey and still connect the experiences people are having around purpose and wellness uh, with uh, other experiences we're measuring across their experience.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. And uh, yeah, thank you for saying that. Is there such thing as a perfect answer? I think he just gave it. Uh, <laughs> Cause uh, yeah, I celebrate the fact that uh, we have, Um, accomplished a lot, that there are organizations that have made inroads into this discipline and delivering value based on doing the right thing, as opposed to uh, a kind of weak argument about driving uh, economic outcomes, although that does come. Um, But there's so many variables impacting those downstream outcomes that it's oftentimes difficult to isolate engagement or some other construct, as you know. And the last is uh, effectively a challenge to all of us to you know keep pushing and uh you know better understand you know what's causing burnout what, what adjustments we can make uh and uh yeah you know, yeah we're nowhere near the finish line if there's such a thing so yeah so that's Absolutely. so yeah as we start to wrap up now any you know closing comments and how can people get in uh, touch with
1: you um yeah well let me just close with um how excited I am for the growth of this community and how much Glint has been influenced in our roadmap in the direction we've taken the platform, the product, by our interactions with the people analytics community. So uh, for those listening out there, thank you so much. uh, And please continue to reach out and connect to us. You can find me at glintinc.com, G-L-I-N-T-I-N-C.com. And you you can reach me through the website.
0: All right. Well, Justin, always a pleasure speaking with you. And we'll see uh, you and Glint at the People in the Future of Work conference uh, in Philadelphia this October. Exciting that you all will be there again. And uh, again, congratulations on all you've achieved and see you soon. Thanks so much.
1: i looking forward to it.
0: Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.